0: A uh, quick show of hands just so we can check the temperature of the audience. How many people know anything about blockchain today? Awesome. Awesome. Then my portion of the talk is going to be very, very remedial. Awesome. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about decentralization in the future and what blockchain can bring uh, to society and to uh, systems in general. Uh, and then my friend and colleague, my Fraw League, Steve, uh, is going to talk to you about one of our spokes. How many people know what consensus is? Awesome. We have fans in the crowd. All right. The internet was architected a long time ago, right? It was great, it was built for communication, open communication, a reliable, resilient network, but it's fundamentally flawed. It's missing some of the services that you need in terms of security or identity that ultimately are opportunities for many of the companies around us to layer on additional value-added services. Part of the challenge, though, is that that layering creates intersections in points of, of potentially exploitation, ultimately, resulting in broken trust. Look around, you see a lot of big companies today, whether it's our friends at Facebook, uh, Experian or others, where they're, they're seeing data breaches almost on a daily basis. Just today there was another article about how they were warned in 2014 about a potential data breach that they did nothing about. Ultimately what this means is that these entities that have Taken on our data and are monetizing our data and using your data for their own profit are not being good stewards of that. Whether it's ignorance or they just don't care, frankly. And that's a problem. And that's resulting in an erosion of trust. And it's not just commercial enterprises. Governments have the same problem. Big reason is these centralized systems create honeypots. These are single points of attack. Willie Horton, you guys know who Willie Horton is? I might be aging myself. Famous bank robber, thank you, sir. He said, why do you rob banks? Well, that's where the money is. Why do you hack and and take on these centralized systems? Because that's where the data is, the information, the gold of today's economy resides in these centralized systems. And when I was a kid, I know I don't look that old, no laughing, We would hack into systems, we'd set up our computers to war dial large sets of phone numbers to find computers and to find telnet addresses so that we could explore the network, right? It wasn't malicious, it was somewhat educational and kind of fun, frankly. Today, hacking is organized crime. There are huge organizations set up just to hack data, to monetize that and take it back and and ultimately undermine a lot of these systems. And it's not just organized crime, They're sovereign states. There are groups, not only in foreign countries, in this own country, that ultimately are there to attack the security of these systems. Has a huge impact on public trust. Potentially, even influencing things like elections. Potentially. There is a bright spot, though. Clicker partially works. In a decentralized future, where you take the data and you spread it around across nodes and you store it securely, it mitigates that single point of attack, right? By encrypting it so that it's secure, even if someone brute force attacks the entire system, they may get one transaction. All of these things could lead to better security, better identity management solutions, better trust, better governance, and ultimately, more scalable systems. As I talk about Steve. Click, there we go. Blockchain. Fortunately, I don't need to go into too much detail about blockchain. Blockchain is just a network of computers where they share a common ledger and then on a regular frequency, they validate that ledger through a mechanism called consensus. Today, most public blockchains use something called proof of work, mining, right? Um, You can also deploy these in private networks. I'll talk about that in a minute. Um, But ultimately, it allows you to decentralize your data in a very secure way. This was originally popularized with Bitcoin. 2009 Satoshi Nakamoto, may he, she, they, whoever they are, wherever they are, uh, really invented three things. Cryptocurrency, the idea of decentralized money. So that you can actually, with no central control, you can trade money, trade value between individuals or entities uh, with very little oversight and nobody could stop you. It's decentralized. If the U.S. government says Bitcoin is illegal, well, you just trade it in England or across the network. They can't stop you. It runs on a blockchain. The Bitcoin blockchain is optimized for cryptocurrency. It's great, it's this distributed ledger, again, with all the nodes. And the third aspect of this is the crypto economics. These nodes don't run for free. You don't get any, no free lunch. As much as we like to think there's free lunch, if something's free, you're the product. You've heard this many, many times. With crypto economics, it allows us to align the incentives of the people creating the network and the people using the network not only so that they do good work, but it disincents bad behavior as well. Ethereum, our friends Ethereum, uh, added onto the, the core blockchain idea a Turing complete virtual machine. So on Ethereum, you don't just do cryptocurrency, it's a general purpose blockchain. You can run code directly on the blockchain. What this ultimately means is that it's secure, it's strong, It's decentralized, so you've got decentralized governance and and all kinds of great control. And you can think of it, especially the public blockchain, as the next generation cloud. Right? In the old days, maybe not too old days, we used to build a system, we'd rack and stack a bunch of servers, we'd size that stack based on peak loads, and then the server would run about 15% capacity for most of the year. The next great thing was cloud. Cloud came along. We love the cloud. Thank you, Amazon. Thank you, others. But now you're essentially buying time on their shared data resources. There's still a centralized entity providing those resources for you, and that's fine. Public blockchain takes those resources and decentralizes them. So instead of buying by the hour or by the time, you're actually paying by the computation. So if you've got code that's very efficient and runs in a small number of, of transactions or, or instructions, you pay a small amount. If you've got code that's longer and takes longer running time, you pay more. Because guess what? The cloud is just somebody else's computer. It's running somewhere. It takes electricity and heating and cooling to make that happen, so you need to pay for that. There is no free lunch. However, the public cloud, which is great, we love it, It's like a, a I hesitate to say free, but it's freely available. Any network connection you get on the public cloud, you can get on the public blockchain, right? You can access it. However, because the, this public network is made up of 15,000 or more nodes, and we talked about the decentralized ledger and reaching consensus, how many people have kids? Come on, you got kids. When you go out to dinner with your kids, you ask them where to go, how long does it take for them to figure out where they want to go? You're reaching consensus as a small unit, right? maybe three, maybe four people, it takes a long time. Imagine 15,000, 20,000 of those entities trying to reach consensus. Bottom line, the public blockchain's network throughput, transaction throughput today is pretty low. About 20 transactions per second, right? So you want to make sure that you're building the right use case for the public blockchain. The other thing about the public blockchain, it's public, it's transparent. That's one of the benefits of the public blockchain is that you can see the information. It's not anonymous. It's pseudo anonymous. You can do a transaction. People won't be able to peer into that transaction, but they'll be able to know that you did the transaction. Right? So it's not completely anonymous or privatized. There, are, there is an alternative. You can deploy Ethereum in a private blockchain manner. What that takes is setting up the infrastructure yourself building a a team of peers, right? A, a consortium, a partnership, whatever metaphor you want to use, a network, and essentially establishing these server nodes, whether they live in your data center in the cloud, a mix of clouds, whatever, it doesn't matter, but everybody has to set up their nodes, they have to connect. The good thing is, is that in a private permissioned blockchain, you get much higher transaction throughput because now you're not doing proof of work for consensus, you're doing something like proof of authority or proof of time elapsed or other consensus algorithms that allow much higher transaction throughput, thousands of transactions per second or more with some of the technologies that are being researched. The other thing that's valuable is that it's private. Just the peers in your network can see what's on it as opposed to the whole world. We believe that the future is a hybrid. You're gonna have a mix of private blockchains for a high volume, private transactions anchoring to the public blockchain for trust and for, for transparency and for decentralized governance. However, blockchain's not bacon. Who likes bacon? I love bacon. Bacon's great. Bacon makes everything better. Bacon with pancakes and syrup, bacon wrapped around shrimp, bacon wrapped around dates, bacon in salads. Bacon's awesome. It makes everything better. Blockchain is not bacon. Last year's database project does not equal a good this year's blockchain project unless it meets certain criteria. Are the participants in that network, are they different? Are they they outside of your company or across your sovereign borders? Do these network participants change often? In this interaction, do they have the same kind of transactional properties, the same rules for participating? When you you choose to govern this, are you okay with uh, appointing a dictator or do you want to have a more shared governance model? right? If you've got multiple parties, if the network grows, expand, expands and contracts, um, and you don't want to have kind of a, a monarch to rule the system, blockchain could be great for you. So if you're looking to improve operational efficiency across, my boring slides, if you look to improve operational efficiency, um, again, across organizations, you're looking to, to settle things quickly, Uh, like stock transactions or real estate transactions. Um, These are great opportunities for blockchain. Uh, Just some more examples. Think about last week, Thanksgiving. How many people had a romaine salad last week? Nobody, right? You know why? Because the CDC said romaine is dangerous, right? Pie was better for you last week than romaine. Yay, go vegans. Um, The reality is, is that it took weeks for them to figure out where that lettuce came from. And I'm a California guy, it came from Monterey, right? Monterey and Salinas supply, it's called the salad bowl of the world because it supplies romaine lettuce everywhere, right? With blockchain, they could have found that out literally in seconds, 20 seconds or less, they would have known where that bad romaine came from and would have been able to take it out of the supply chain and we all could have enjoyed a salad for Thanksgiving. Think about um, self-sovereign identity, right? Uh, the, the whole. <laughs> Facebook, or think about it this way. If you want to look at a high quality piece of content, say on uh, the Wall Street Journal, and you have an opportunity to pay for it, and say it's a dollar, uh, but the advertiser were to ask you, hey, do you mind some banner ads, right? If, If you accept banner ads or some kind of interstitial advertising, maybe it's only 50 cents. And if you choose to share information, choose to share information, then we'll reduce that cost. And the information won't necessarily be that bad your gender, your age, maybe the state you live in, so that they can target those ads a little bit more effectively, and maybe you'll get that article for free. You, as the user with self-sovereign identity, would have the choice to control that. It wouldn't be Facebook, it wouldn't be Google, who, by the way, you're paying a dollar for that article today, and they're probably making a dollar 20 on every time you read that article, right? They're monetizing your data. Uh, Some other things, tokenized assets go many ways with this, but you think about real estate. Um, Not many people are accredited investors. You're very fortunate if you are, Um, but one of the things you hear and you've heard for years is a diversified portfolio leads to better results. Sure, you can buy stocks and maybe some bonds and mutual funds, but what if you want to invest in commercial real estate? How do you do that? It's very difficult unless you got money, right? Or you tokenize the commercial real estate so that you can buy a fraction of that real estate. You don't have to buy a whole share. You can buy $100 worth or $10 worth or an ETH worth or what have you. Um, Micropayments, that kind of goes back to the publishing thing. Music. Uh, Music today, artists work with publishers, the publishers work with distributors, it goes out to streaming services and and radios and all of that. It takes months for the artists to get their royalties back, months. And they can't even really repudiate whether they're right or not, right? They don't know how many records were really sold or anything like that. With blockchain, the artist could sell their music directly to the end user, and as soon as the end user pays that, that payment could immediately get distributed to the artist, to the producer, to the drummer, etc. Drummer's also an artist, sorry. Drummer's in the audience, very bad. Uh, where else, we got more. The idea is that built on this foundation of asset tokenization, decentralized government, and ultimately instantaneous transactions, we're able to rebuild trust create automated agreements that are trustworthy and secure, really rebuild identity so that it's self-sovereign and that we as the user can control our identity, not these, frankly, not even the governments or these centralized organizations. Your reputation can follow you. You can get credit for curating good, high-quality content, for participating in projects. Ultimately, we believe this will lead to huge economic opportunity. As people that are currently locked out of the economic cycle today, people that can't bank or people that can't otherwise take, get access to the Great Service, look around man, we're in Vegas. This place is crazy, absolutely crazy. We're very privileged to be here, very privileged to be here. There are billions and billions of people that can add value to our economy that don't can't access it because they don't have identity or uh, they don't have access to banking services. Think about refugees in Syria. You might be a doctor and have been a doctor in Syria for 20 years or an engineer. All of a sudden, because of civil unrest, you're forced to leave your home for the safety of your family. And because it's dangerous on the road, you don't take your ID with you. That's dangerous. You don't want to die in transit. Then you end up in Germany and you're very fortunate, very happy to be there, or New York. You're very happy to be there. How do you prove that you're a doctor? How do you get credit for that, right? Very, very difficult to do today, but with the blockchain and self-sovereign identity, could be one of those things. I keep talking about these use cases. These are just a quick sample. Another one with respect to smart cities, if you live in Texas, where they have a deregulated energy market uh, and you have a solar panel on your house and a battery, uh, there's actually a company that will allow you to arbitrage your electricity usage on the wholesale market so that your, battery will, your solar panels will generate electricity, your battery will store that electricity. The agent knows how much electricity you need to run your house for the next two, three days. And when you get over that mark, it will sell the excess electricity when the price of electricity on the wholesale market is high. And then by the way, if it's low, it'll buy it back to make sure you always have enough. The end result is it ends up building you a balance that you can just offload up the machine and go to Hawaii or buy a horse, or put food on your table, or, or do any number of things. Um, really, it's endless in terms of what you can do with blockchain. But again, it's not bacon. You can't take just any solution, wrap it in blockchain and make it better. That's not going to work. We see a lot of projects, about 80% of what we do at Consensus, by the way, is talk people out of blockchain. I know that sounds weird being a blockchain company, but we believe that blockchain will only be successful if the true value is recognized, right? The actual value. Anyway, I I digress. Um, I've talked to you a little bit about the future. We have a booth over in the expo hall across from Salesforce. If you'd like to come talk to myself or Steve or any of the other blockchain experts we have, please come by. And we're also having a great party at Mumufuku tomorrow night. So come by the booth to get your invite and I'll turn it over to my buddy, Steve.
1: All right, thank you, Nick. So for this next section, I'd like to talk with you a little bit more about, I guess, what we're calling real-world examples here. Now, um, why don't I drift this way a little bit? Um, Now, Nick was telling you about some use cases, some of which are happening now, some of which will play out over a period of time. The reality is there are hundreds and thousands of use cases that are being implemented now around the world. I know a lot of you guys raised your hand that you're, you know, you're knowledgeable in the blockchain space. Uh, maybe your company's doing blockchain projects now. A lot of times what we see uh, in, in with consensus when, when we go in uh, is a lot of your organizations kind of have built up an innovation team within the IT team that's looking at emerging technologies and tend to have a lot of interesting use cases that they are thinking about blockchain from the perspective of your business. Gartner actually has has some poor soul at Gartner chronicled over 3,000 use cases that um, that blockchain could have a real world impact, and that impact they forecast by 2030 is three three trillion dollars of economic value, as Nick was saying a minute ago, economic value. Now the question is, what about getting to production, right? Because we've heard about blockchain for a few years now, and the reality is the technology can be somewhat difficult to adopt. Um, there are technology hurdles, right? There are new things, uh, it's heavy crypto. Um, these, there's these distributed ledgers, so there's new frameworks, there's new programming models, there's things like consensus algorithms that need to be understood and so on. But even beyond that, there's a second hurdle. As, as your projects progress, maybe out of POCs and into pilots, what, what we see is what we're calling this concept of shared IT. And, and shared IT gets to the core of what's different about blockchain than other technologies. If you think about you know, some of your companies, you guys have got hundreds of IT systems that are deployed today, that you, you maybe have accumulated over a number of years. And in one sense, maybe blockchain's the 101st or the 1,001st, but in another sense, it's actually a fundamentally different technology. What's different about blockchain is this collaborative nature. If you're gonna get the benefits of, of going with, on a blockchain, then you need to collaborate with your partners in your value chain or, your, or your, your supply chain, or often your competitors. So maybe a group of banks sit down and look at what a new payment system on a blockchain would mean. But in order to advance this, they need to collectively steward the network together. It's this shared network where everyone has some control but no one's in complete control of the network. Which is totally different from every IT system that you have today. If you think about what it takes to deploy something into production, what, what does it take? It's all, all the checks and balances, you know, the risk compliance team, um, you, have, you have certain ops teams that gets involved and there's this multi-step process. But that's now within a silo and, and, and a blockchain network you now have multiple organizations that need to collaborate together. So, so I say all this to say that getting all the way into pr- to production in the blockchain space is challenging, but companies are doing it. Uh, and these are some companies that we're working with that are either in production right now uh, on AWS, at, as it so happens, on, on Kaleido, um, or are going to be getting there in the next few months. So some of the largest institutions in the world, and some, some very innovative startups as well. I'm going to tell you a little bit about a couple of these use cases. This, this one's kind of interesting. This one's more on the crypto asset side of things. So a company called Green Fence, uh, who's based in Hollywood, is uh, working with a lot of the large studios like Sony and Fox. And these are some of the movies that, that they've done and essentially creating crypto, crypto collectible assets. So the idea of, of a collectible you know, there's a concept of scarcity, there's the idea of the provenance of that thing and being able to prove that it's intrinsically valuable. And a blockchain makes a, makes for a really great place to track that. And GreenFence is doing that today. If, if you've seen one of these movies in the theater, then you may have gotten an offer for a crypto collectible. If I, if I switch lenses, you know, I, I said 3,000 use cases, so if we go totally into some other end of the spectrum, let's talk about how some large institutions are looking at this technology and, and really using it as a tool to help drive impact in their society. Union Bank is a large um, uh, Southeast Asian bank and they, they looked at, uh, in, in the Philippines, they, they looked at all the tens of millions of unbanked people that live there today. And a lot of, the, a lot of those citizens of Philippines bank at rural banks and the the rural banks in their communities themselves are unbanked because they're not in the global financial system. What Union Bank is running today is a blockchain based system where they actually connect all the rural banks in and they anchor them in through a blockchain into the global financial system. The first use case that they're running is around remittance payments if you if you have some familiarity with that this region of the world this is a huge social topic, um, a lot of citizens go abroad, they collect money and they send it back to their to their family there, uh, but if those family members are on bank there's no good way to get the money back, so you're looking at a 40 over a 40 step process, that they've now put, putting this on the blockchain they have now digitized all of it. They're 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 connecting into global financial systems, and it's now four steps. You can read this case study is actually out on AWS uh, with, with Consensus and AWS wrote it up together, so you can Google that more there. The last one that I'll mention uh, is in the commodity space. So a, a, a lot of uh, large uh, trade finance uh, banks that that help commodities flow across borders and and, and move. You can. Kind of make out a little bit of the diagram there, um, uh, but in this this system, it's really about an uh, efficiency play uh, where you have an existing system. And I know none of you guys can relate to this, but you know things get FTP'd around, or there's emails sent, or there's pa- there's paper going on, um, and you have this really critical business process that maybe spans your partners. Um, and it's stuck in the 1980s or 1990s, or it's built on infrastructure that goes back some time. So taking a a fresh look at how commodities get financed, they build a a blockchain-based platform. Uh, They've actually formed a new entity amongst themselves called Comgo, Commodities Go, and this, this really gets into kind of the innovative business models because as you look at this new kind of, as Nick was saying, this this trust infrastructure and these new collaborative models, a lot of what, a lot of times what you can see is businesses actually either looking to evolve an existing process, but also looking at revolutionary new business models that they can layer on top of that. So if you talk to the, the Comgo folks, they'll tell you that really what they build is this open financing platform. That's that's what they think of it as, and ultimately. They see it as a more efficient way to get more players in their ecosystem involved and to change the business dynamics of how they're doing business today. Now, let's let's go one layer more technical. I, I think as we looked at some of these real world use cases, one learning that we can distill and reflect out to you guys is a lot of times we we really put a lot of emphasis on the blockchain, but w- when we look at these projects, really the chain itself is only 10% of, the, of what's getting built and deployed. There are a lot of other components that are going along with, if you think about that, that financing platform that I was talking about a minute ago, and, and some of those things you can guess right off the bat, of course there's an app, there's an API layer, there's some security components, of course there's a middleware layer where I need to connect into legacy systems, but I think what's really interesting as you think about how the blockchain space is evolving is there are a number of components that are blockchain-ish, that are decentralized components that aren't strictly the chain itself. Some of those components help bridge between the off-chain and the on-chain reality as we're trying to digitize these physical assets and track them on a blockchain, we need to get them on and off. we need to get participants' identities on and off a chain, they they exist. Um, But there are other other things like oracles for data feeds, there's um, distributed file storage, there's advanced cryptography components like HD wallets and so on. So what we're really seeing now in 2018 as we talk about getting to real production blockchain is a lot of these components are being deployed together into increasingly sophisticated patterns that really tackle um, so some heretofore hard to solve real business problems. So, so I, I think the, the last thing that I have to say is, you're probably here because you use AWS today, if you want to experiment with blockchain, there, there is a service called Kaleido that's available in the marketplace uh, with, within AWS today. You can check it out or, or check it out on on Kaleido.io. Uh, One thing that's really great about the Kaleido platform is Kaleido itself has a marketplace with a lot of these decentralized tools and components already built in. Plug and play, you can select the ones that you want and grab them and go. As Nick was saying, the idea of setting up your own private Ethereum blockchain, customizing the consensus algorithm, setting up the number of nodes, all those sorts of capabilities are there in the box but also because it's a marketplace there are a lot of third party technologies that are being onboarded there as well so if you're thinking about legal smart contracts there's there's something called open law that's available there if you're thinking about supply chain and how to do that there's there's an innovative um, product called viant that you can grab and go that's in the marketplace and really there's others there's an oracle process
0: for viant it's pretty amazing
1: the, the, yeah. there's, there's Chainlink yeah. that, that's in Oracle and, the, and there's others as well to check out. There's also a set of native AWS integrations available in the marketplace too. Okay, so I, I think we, we, covered, we covered a lot in this session. We do want to take some questions. We started really high level talking about the promise of blockchain, we talked about some of the challenges, we talked about some of the opportunities going forward, and then we also looked at kind of where businesses are at today. And I think, while it is true that blockchain, there are some things that are difficult about it, the the great thing is the capabilities of both the ecosystem and the tools are evolving very quickly. So really where we are today is we can say, yes, it's hard, but it doesn't have to be. Okay, so can we want to try to do some
0: questions? Oh, we got questions. Oh. How can the lower okay. how how can we lower the barrier that preventing more people from using blockchain? How can we lower the barrier? One way is to make it easier to use. Um, at least this is my perspective, Steve, you can certainly jump in here. Uh, for example, if you want to do a digital collectible, you might need a, a wallet, right? Like MetaMask. Uh, a lot of people use MetaMask as a Chrome plugin. It's essentially your, your login to the Web 3.0 world. Um, you need to know about private keys and public keys and tokens takes a lot, right? Your mom and dad probably wouldn't go there, right? So we believe it's got to be easier to use. So better UX um, and kind of abstracting a lot of that from the end user will ultimately make it easier to use.
1: Yeah, I, I, I would. I, I definitely agree. I think there's two components to the question. There's a technology component, which de- lo- look at things like Kaleido that are out in the marketplace that can, you know, something as a service, obviously, you know, Downloading open source code, figuring it out yourself, you know, standing it up, managing all of that. There's kind of, there's the new world model of as a service where there's a low barrier to entry, it's really easy to get started with technology, experiment, start as small as you want, grow your footprint. All of the classic things that we talk about with SaaS and cloud and so on are applicable here. I think the second challenge though is more of a, I'll call it a human one. It's not a technology challenge, but it's it's a process, you know, it, it's, it's what I was talking about earlier, the shared IT concept of how, how do a group of organizations get this thing live together? Um, and, and I think there, the best recommendation that I have is to, to, to work with, to find some trusted partners and consultants who have done this over and over again and are on the leading edge of, of helping companies move collectively through uh, and get to production.
0: I'm going to jump down here because I'll let, I'll let you answer the Holochain one. Uh, but will volatility in the crypto market be a blocker uh, for commercial success of dApps and public chains? Um, we'll find out, that's for sure. Um, when, the, when the market had its kind of uh, uh, token distortion and it kind of last December, it was very high, it was great. It brought a lot of interest into the blockchain space. The good news is that people that came for the crypto are staying for the blockchain. So a lot of the big companies are, are, they're not crypto companies. We're not a crypto company, we're a blockchain company. So yes, the price of crypto is falling. Maybe it never should have been as high as it was before. Um, One of the things that you think about with respect to Ethereum and Ether, that's the underlying fuel for the cost of the compute resources. So you don't necessarily want the price of Ether to be too high, because then the cost of your running that compute will be high. So there's going to be a happy medium, I believe. Do you want to take the hollow one?
1: Yeah, so I'll comment on kind oh, yeah. of the next two questions together. If you think about what I was saying earlier, if if Gartner's forecasting by 2030, there's three trillion in economic impact, right, then it's not a surprise to see multiple technologies evolving together, you know, out, out in space. I, I don't know a ton about Holochain. Holochain. Um, I, I know that there there are, a number of public chains that have spun up over the last few years um, I think there each of them or many of them do have interesting contributions into the space I think if you look at ethereum as kind of the the largest community still to date, if you look at its roadmap, I think there's definitely cross pollination and inspiration going on for multiple communities that's all good um, I, I think ultimately a you know, that that large of a market can support multiple code bases. The other thing is look backwards in time a little bit. Think about relational databases. You know, there there were there was Sweet. IBM DB2, there was Oracle, <laughs> there was SQL Server, there was Postgres. If you think about oh, application servers, there was, you know, WebLogic and um I used to work for WebSphere Oracle. And we thought there several. was one database.
0: Only yeah. one database.
1: <laughs> so, so I think a, a lot of core technologies, the market will support uh, multiple of those, I guess is, is what I'm saying. Um, so I, I, I see the same thing in, in the blockchain space. Um, I, I, I think specifically Hyperledger versus Ethereum do get this question a lot in the enterprise blockchain space. Um, the, those are two of the, the largest, um, you know, most active communities there are. There, there are pros and cons, they, they both have communities with hundreds of companies that are participating, so vibrant ecosystems uh, with lots going on. If you want to, if you want to see me afterward, I, I'll give you my full rundown on uh, one, one technology versus another. Ethereum's been around a bit longer, it's a bit more battle-hardened because the, code, the core code's been running on the public blockchain as well as, uh, you know, places like Kaleido where we're running over a thousand uh, private chains around the world. This time last
0: year, where did you work?
1: <laughs> my, my particular history is I, I do have very deep knowledge both in Hyperledger <laughs> from a past life and in Ethereum uh, from my current life. Um, so, I, I mean, I think there's technology pros and cons. There's a lot of leapfrogging from one release to the next on a technology level. I, I do think the Ethereum ecosystem is the largest. There are Lots of uh, startups and companies and lots of innovation going on in that space but I, I do think the market will support multiple technologies ultimately
0: do you want to talk about the scaling stuff or mm-hmm. I've got a great real world example when you want to talk about scale
1: yeah yeah so so scalability it's it's really important to remember there's kind of the public blockchain space and then there's what many businesses are doing today, which is setting up their own private chains. And scalability across those two are completely different things. In, in the public blockchain space, you're, you're, a lot of the chains, including Ethereum, are bounded from a scalability perspective because of how they set up the security so that uh, the integrity of the public chain itself, they didn't want any one entity to get gain enough influence over the network, so they essentially created hard math problems that you have to solve, and made it impractical for any one party to start to to dominate that. Um, If you go into the private space, you you just pull that out, and you replace it with a different consensus algorithm. And there are multiple consensus algorithms to choose from, and they offer different trade-offs. So some of them are very high performance, Uh, some of them are more towards what we call Byzantine, Byzantine is a, a, a computing term that talks about a trustless nature of how you form an agreement. If you, if you loosely, if you think about data, the old database world, if you know what two-phase commits are, similar kind of concept where parties are talking back and forth and coordinating before they actually agree and form consensus on something. Um, so in, in the private space, you're talking orders of magnitude, higher level of performance just intrinsically but you're looking at different trade-offs and different consensus algorithms, and frankly, how, how you actually architect and build, write the code for your solution is also really important, right? How many things are actually transactions? You know, you, you need to think about this as you're writing your code. How, you know, when things get written to blocks, how that's done, how many participants you actually need. So in, in these private chains, you can control how many votes are required before you say this block is good. Because you know all the other participants, you, you can set thresholds and, and tailor that. So there's actually a lot of configuration that you can do inside of the network and as you write the code to influence the ultimate uh, throughput.
0: You talked about a few real world examples. Uh, Union Bank with the eye to eye platform, GreenFed, Comgo. Uh, there's also third parties like Identilect. They've got an email solution that combats man-in-the-middle attacks in real estate. They've got over 30,000 clients in production today. Uh, Their private network is, I think it's about 12 nodes of legal firms around the world. Uh, They take your email, they hash it together, put the hash on the blockchain so that when you get it, you can make sure the email hasn't been tampered with, routing codes, stuff like that. Um, More and more every day, quite frankly.
1: Yeah, and um, to the question about consensus model, I, I, I think I think there will be multiple and and you'll, I I think the, well the code's pretty much there to where um, you can select the one that's appropriate for you and just run with it. Um, So I I see these things as uh, pluggable and you can make the the right choice for your use case. Um, I I do think, I do think Byzantine is really important uh, for a lot, if the foundation of blockchain is trust and you're thinking about kind of how the trust bottles between the party evolves. But I I do think that a lot of use cases will not get away from that Byzantine kind of three phase commit uh, or two and a half phase commit sort of thing where there's, there's a little bit more work, but you're only doing that once. If you remember, what you're comparing that to is the existing world where everyone has a silo, maintains their own systems of record, and there's just loads of chatter back and forth and things fall out of sync. It's still, it's still a dramatic uh, improvement in the overall model.
0: When I worked at Oracle 20 years ago, the Oracle database couldn't scale. You would actually have to set up a second database and run all your writes in one side and all your reads out the other. And over time, through rack and other clustering technologies and just better scalability, they've overcome that. Where we are today with blockchain is much earlier than even that, right? Uh, People talk about 1993, it might even be earlier than 1993. So there is a lot of research being done on scalability, whether it's layer two solutions, uh, sharding, uh, improving the underlying infrastructure itself. Uh, We believe, we're big believers in blockchain, that eventually that will be overcome. Um, And in addition to that, kind of bleeding into this next question, as people need to become comfortable with sharing information on a public blockchain, companies need to become comfortable. It's going to take time for us to get there. And not every use case is an either or kind of proposition. It it lives on a spectrum. Um, What we have seen in many clients, they'll start on a private blockchain and then realize that there's really no reason why they couldn't use the public blockchain. So long story short, it depends.
1: Yeah, and and just to comment on these two together, I think actually that these two questions have have the same answer. Um, if, if, If you're, starting in the public blockchain space and you're looking at how Ethereum is evolving to Plasma, Ethereum 2.0, and all that sort of stuff, then you'll see a a big part of the scalability equation is actually taking a lot of the um, transaction processing, a lot of the heavy lifting, if you will, and moving it into what's called sidechains. Sidechains, if you're more of an enterprise person and you started in the enterprise blockchain space, look a heck of a lot like private blockchains. Uh, where there's a smaller number of participants they are doing doing the heavy transaction processing. I think the interesting new piece that Nick was alluding to earlier is the hybrid model, the hybrid concept, where these things (coughs) don't exist in silos anymore. They actually connect to each other seamlessly. There are multiple really interesting use cases um, about why that's going to be significant for society. But I do think Overall, it's, it's really interesting that you have enterprise blockchain and public blockchain, and we're starting to see this intersection where the two technologies are not two things, where how they actually come together and interoperate and, and work together as one seamless system. So as a prediction, I would say, if we're, we're sitting in the same, same set of chairs in 2020, we're not really talking anymore about private blockchains, public blockchains, we're seeing that as much more of one thing.
0: 2932 is the booth number in the expo over at the Venetian, or the Sands Expo. Uh, It's right across from the Salesforce booth and the partner uh, lounge, so we're pretty easy to find consensus. We have a number of spokes there. Uh, Of course, Kaleido, Viant, OpenLaw, Meridio, and others, so feel free to come by and check us out. We talked about the scalability. What is Solidity? Uh, The programming language for smart contracts, one of the programming languages for smart contracts.
1: So, so one, one quick example of, of, of public and, and private, it's, it's, the, it's an easy one and it's actually live on Kaleido today, you can play with it. <laughs> it's the idea that I set up a private chain and there's only so much diversity within that chain, right? There's only so many organizations, so many nodes running. And so maybe you're, you're thinking about the integrity of consensus and what happens if one of the members gets hacked and their chain is changed and now you have a dispute? or maybe some of the members start colluding against the other members, sort of after the fact collusion scenario where the chains get changed and now you have a dispute. The idea of anchoring that private chain to the public blockchain, where hacking and going back in time and changing the the state of the public chain because you're now tens of thousands of nodes, is just computationally infeasible. Um, So sending up a really, really lean set of hash states periodically or on demand up to the public blockchain is a way to uh, basically maintain, ensure the integrity of the private chain. So that, that's, that's one, uh, sometimes called state anchoring. Um, it's actually available today, you can use that. There are, there are other uh, interesting use cases um, and I guess what the question is calling um, hybrids that are um, coming down the road.
0: Tim and Chase trying to incite some riots here. Um, Like any other technology, you're not going to adopt everything, right? Blockchain's not bacon. It's not great with everything. You're going to need your cloud infrastructure. You're going to need your web infrastructure. Blockchain will be one of the enabling technologies to tie your systems together. Um, So I think there is a role for AWS and other cloud partners to play. Um, And AWS is a great partner. I can't speak to the Kleido stuff.
1: Yeah, so I guess, Chase, if you want to come talk to us, we're, ha- we're happy to talk. Um, Kaleido today runs exclusively on
0: AWS. The single most common value, um, in my perspective, is, is operational efficiency, especially when settling complex transactions with multiple parties. Um, think about, you know, if you want to go to Hawaii and you want to sell some stock, this is just yourself. You go to E-Trade, you sell your stock, you know immediately what the stock sold for but it takes a couple days for that to settle because it's, it's reconciling that between multiple brokers. Then it gets wired to your bank, takes a couple more days for that to settle because it's wired between two financial institutions. And then depending on the size, it may take a couple days before you can actually get that money, right? Enterprises are seeing operational efficiency by taking transactions like that and putting them on the blockchain where it will settle in 20 seconds and it will be completely auditable and secure
1: yeah I think anytime you you're talking about something as foundational as a transaction processing system and you're talking about things like transparency and changing the trust model of how parties interact with each other it's so foundational that it it, it really applies to across the board across industries so I, I think you know so, somewhat paradoxically. That also makes it a little bit harder the first time you hear about it to really wrap your arms around it and, and make it seem very tangible. Um, but the reality is, we could we could pick any industry and, and dive in and, and look at because we see the same pattern. We we, we our 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 society, the systems we've built today kind of reflect our society in that they're all they're all siloed and individualistic. And, and when you look at a, a technology that's that's kind of has this collaborative aspect to it, then you really can take out your pencil, sharpen it up, and look across the board at, all, at just such a wide variety of use cases.
0: Uh, I'd have to ask uh, someone more technical for that. How about you, yeah, Steve? Yeah,
1: um, so, so sharding is, is is one way to, that's that has been proposed in the public blockchain space to increase scalability by, um, if you think about it, an overly simplistic example, you know, if you take the first letter, if you take your last name, you know what letter of the alphabet it starts with, and route route you based on that to some subsection of the network for processing. Just a way to process more more transactions more quickly. Sharding is not a new thing in the computing space. It's been used in, in a variety of different ways. Um, how it could impact private chains is it could. Again, remember, the, the, the key thing to keep in mind is there's orders of magnitude difference today in scalability between private and public blockchains. Um, the same concept could be applied within a private chain and could further increase the, the scaling within that, that chain as well. There's no reason that it could not.
0: All right. Thank you.